Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, producer Jonah Primo here, and welcome to Principle of Charity, where we inject curiosity and generosity back into our conversations on big social issues. This is part two of our conversation on Christianity versus Islam with guests Professor Muhammad Abdallah and Professor Robin Horner. Here Lloyd will do his best to push them and find out what they really think. And if you missed part one with Emil, I really encourage you to press pause, go back and have a listen as it will contextualize some of the conversation you're about to hear. Otherwise, here is On the Couch. Robin and Muhammad, I'm going to, as we always do on, on the show on the principle of charity, part of our focus is an attempt to reduce polarization through critical thinking. It is to try and promote at least a view of the alternative and in so doing promote an open-mindedness. Uh, what we're also trying to do on the principle of charity is create a learning environment that is safe. So the first question to you, Robin, and, and I'll throw the same question to Mohammed in a moment, is what would your top three arguments be in favor of someone choosing Islam over Christianity? One of the things that strikes me about Islam is that in many ways it's a religious tradition that takes love of God seriously. And I would give the example of Ramadan and the fasting that uh, Muslims undertake during Ramadan, which is an extraordinarily difficult ask, I think, much more difficult than what Catholics might do during Lent. Mm -hmm. So I'd say, you know, the attractiveness of the people who are prepared to go to that extent of fasting is one of the things that I would say shows the very deep-rooted and genuine belief that people have in Islam. Secondly, theologically, you know, if you were going to invent a religion, you wouldn't have a trinity, would you? It's just so hard to explain. So <laughs> Islam in its thinking of God, although Christianity thinks of God as one, uh, Islam not having to worry about how to talk about that differentiation of God as three would be a lot easier. And thirdly, what I really liked is uh, Muhammad straight up front spoke about how important it is that we don't think of Allah having gender. Hmm. And that that's the case also in Christianity. But, you know, I've been on another radio show where, you know, it was argued that, that you had to call God he, and I just find that really problematic. Hmm. So I think, I think just, you know, from this morning, that capacity to affirm that God is transcendent, that God is not limited in the way that humans are limited, hmm. is really beautiful. Hmm. Thank you, Robin. That that was superb. Mohammed, I'm going to throw the same question to you, and that is, what would your top three arguments be in favor of someone choosing Christianity over Islam? 
Well, thank you very much for that. Number one, as the Quran recognizes, it tells us that, and you shall find among many Christians, those who are humble. So humility is a distinguishing mark of uh, Christianity and many of the Christians. And this is a testimony of the Quran itself. So that's that's one. Uh, uh, secondly, the emphasis on love. Uh, I think that is very important. Mm. And uh, it seems to me that the emphasis on love is unconditional uh, to a great extent, uh, which is which is also important. And thirdly, the ability to to work uh, with others, uh, broadly speaking, or be inclusive, if you like, they're inclusive at the at the religious and cultural uh, level. Mm. Uh, historically, this was also true in the Islamic civilization. Uh, Islamic civilization in, would not have expanded and, and, and became influential without the works of the Christian translators right at the, at the outset. And so the ability of uh, Christians in the past and the present to work with other communities uh, and the, the, the kindness and the love they, they show is, is outstanding and it is mm. enviable. Mm. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you. When you were speaking to Emil, what struck me with both of you was not just your sort of intellectual uh, ability to explain the key concepts and the philosophy of both of your religions, but actually the the commitment to them uh, at a experiential and personal level. Let me test this, though, with you. While I feel that commitment, let me again go back to the principle of charity and, and, and the notion of critical thinking. Robin, and I'll start with you. What beliefs in Christianity are you the least certain about? It's not so much core beliefs of Christianity that I have anxiety about. It's sometimes the ways in which those are interpreted or not interpreted in particular contexts. And so I'd say, for example, the very hard and definite borders that sometimes people put around, well, in the contemporary times, issues to do with sexuality or with gender, all of those sorts of questions are very important for the people that I work with. I, I work with teachers who work with young people. And those things are kind of life or death for them. And so what I find hardest, well, is, is to find that there are some, some very strict and harsh interpretations that I think perhaps need to be talked about some more. Okay. Mohammed, how about you? Which areas of, of, of the faith are you less certain about, of your faith? Or of Islam, I, let's, let's call it that way. Yeah, yeah well, thank you. I think uh, I am not uncertain about anything in my faith, Islam, but about Maybe if we talk about Muslim practice, it's a different, mm. I think, different thing. I'd like to distinguish between my my convictions about my faith are very strong. I don't have any uncertainties, but I think I do have concerns about practices of Islam and manifestations of Islam. Take, for example, uh, any form of extremist, uh, radical, violent manifestations of Islam are highly problematic for me, mm. Right or any interpretations of Islam that uh, are not inclusive at the cultural level are highly problematic for me, or any interpretation of Islam and the practice of Islam that does not take the context into consideration is problematic for me. So that these are areas that 
uh, or or even when disagreeing with somebody because of their beliefs or practices is one thing, but then to to exclude them or become harsh to them, harsh towards them, or not to extend to them compassion and mercy and empathy is also something that mm. I find problematic. Mm. And Mohammed, on that, I mean, it, it is a big focus of, of our show. We, we, in one sense, want to give disagreement a better name. What, what do you think is happening in Islam, to your point, in some parts of it where disagreement has, doesn't have a good name, meaning people just feel like they need to be extremely dogmatic or fundamentalist? That is, that is a problem, and it's not contemporary. It has happened throughout history that uh, interpretation or, or a disagreement, rather, leads to conflict, sadly. However, uh, it's reassuring to know that, historically speaking, mainstream moderate Islam always uh, overcomes that uh, any forms of extremist interpretations. And uh, case in point, uh, historically, one of the most uh, extreme uh, movements which disagreed with mainstream Islam was known as the uh, Khawarij uh, movement uh, and Mu'tazila, who were purely rationalist or believed that reason is above revelation. And today they are the most peaceful, most pacif- pacifist of Muslim communities, and mm-hmm. they reside in Oman, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, with the passage of time, historically, it, it, it one can demonstrate that. Uh, yes, these disagreements are highly problematic, but with the passage of time, because of a very strong scholarly scholarship foundation, uh, mainstream Islam always seems to weave, weed out, if you like, mm. some of those extremist mm. manifestations. And Robin, for you, disagreement in the Catholic Church, how much does the Church actually tolerate? And I suppose sometimes when people split off from the Church, meaning a reformist movement, they feel that the church can't tolerate that disagreement, hence they need to split off. What's the brand of disagreement in in the Catholic Church? Very good question, because I think where there is disagreement in the Catholic Church, there are some parts that are, some small, actually, segments of the church that are incredibly loud and vocal. Catholic Church, in fact, is a very broad tradition. And evidently there are dogmatic um, statements that emerge from the magisterium uh, that we theologians talk a lot about to try and understand what they mean, and and so there are there are there are points disagreement over which would result in people being estranged, finding mm-hmm. themselves estranged from the church. At the moment, and really, I'm talking politics here, but at the moment we have Pope Francis. And Pope Francis, it seems to me, is trying to undo that kind of very um, hard attitude towards disagreement that perhaps characterised the, pap- the papacies of John Paul and Benedict. I think Francis is a lot more open to um, uh, the possibility that people can disagree, but that need not destroy the fundamental faith that mm. that joins them. For example... Pope Francis has, has recently acted to say, look, I think the Latin Mass, which is a kind of a, a movement in the church of people wanting to go back to the Latin Mass and, and have very kind of a rigid kind of expression of Catholicism, he's actually moved to say, look, I think it's important that, that this isn't allowed to just run freely because it, it 
it does actually undermine the um, the kind of dialogue that we can have in the contemporary world. Mm-hmm. So he he's more open to dialogue. Certainly, there are points at which you know, if if one was to deny that Jesus was the Son of God, for example, one would be placing oneself outside mm. the Catholic tradition. But Francis, for his for all that he's done, he has said of homosexuality, look, who am I to judge? Or he talks about the pressures that are on families, married people, all of those sorts of things where there are lots of potential moral tensions. He really tries to uh, open those up for dialogue, and I think that's good. When it comes to disagreement, and, I, and I'm sort of just interested in your view, the sexual abuse scandal in the Catholic scandal, the, the sexual abuse that did occur in the Catholic Church, when you reflect on it now, is there disagreement of how it was conducted, meaning the investigations, the insights about how the Catholic Church dealt, dealt with it? How much disagreement actually exists in the culture of the Catholic uh, Church? on how it was dealt with. Yeah, I I think there's two kind of fundamental trajectories, I think, in this way. One is that, uh, well, sexual abuse happened and we're all very sorry about it and we'll make sure it doesn't happen again. There's that kind of approach that doesn't reflect on the deeper kind of systemic causes for the Mm. sexual abuse crisis, which I would say partly lie in a culture of clericalism, for example. Right, right. It's a more tactical response to what happened rather than the a deeper leadership view of what really went wrong. Yeah, and I, and I would say that many lay people and, and some ordained people, many lay people would say this is a fundamentally a patriarchal cultural problem mm, that right. we need to address, mm. you know, the sexual abuse itself, Mm. is a manifestation of the depth and the awfulness of this problem. Okay. So there's some people, I think, who kind of would just, well, let's go on business as usual. We didn't notice it and we're sorry. Yeah. But I think others would think about it more deeply. When I listen to both of you, you both embody, um, probably in a way that Emil and I don't even, uh, hence, you know, on, on the principle of charity. I mean, we're both trying to be charitable, but we, we have to try, it seems, a, a lot harder than both of you. But let me focus on the shadow part of yourself. Uh, and, Mohammed, I'll start with you. What situations make you the least charitable? Yeah, I think arrogance. I think if, if a person uh, comes across as very arrogant and ostentatious or haughty, uh, disparaging of others, then I, 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 I that might put me off from <laughs> being charitable. <laughs> you know, despite the fact that you know the teachings would tell me otherwise. But uh, uh, but yeah, I, that if there's one thing that I that really would put me off is a sense of arrogance and haughtiness, and so, uh, to have a, a sense of a supremacist attitude towards others. That is probably one instance. Okay, thank you. Robin, how about you? There's a long shadow behind me. (laughs) As there is with all of us. One would be intellectually, I find um, very, very dogmatic positions. And look, this morning I've just been thinking about the evangelical right in the States and the possibility of Donald Trump being re-elected. I I find myself very uncharitable (laughs) when I think about that or or when I hear about um, 
you know, big companies and corporations being able to get away with horrible things that they've done to people and, and you know, individuals in the robo-debt scandal, you know, being persecuted. Those sorts of things overcome my sort of capacity to dialogue. But I think personally too, I, I'm a real introvert. And so for me, I'm good at the thinking, but when I'm out there with people, you know, to really love the God in the face of the stranger, I find really hard mm. because yeah. I'm nervous about that encounter with people. Somebody asked me recently, I was overseas, and somebody came to me and asked, asked me if I'd take them for a cup of coffee. And I said no because I was just anxious about the, the encounter. And then later I thought, you know, I should have just taken that person to the coffee shop and I should have done that, but I find that really hard to do, just kind of the personality that I am. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested, Mohammed. You, you were speaking and, and I think Robin sort of agreed, but I want to come back to just your comment, which made so much sense to me about how a cultural or social context can overlay choices around religion. And I'm going to give both of you maybe a thought experiment on this one. You both reside in a democratic country, and yes, there there would be lots of imperfections to democracy in, in Australia, but there is choice, there's availability, it, it, it is a society that attempts to emphasize tolerance. And yes, there's lots of areas where Australian society is extremely prejudicial and intolerant. But are you both products of this type of system? I mean, if I, if I put, put you both in an alternative society where there was not a democracy, but an authoritarian regime, Mohammed, would your religious beliefs be very different? That's an excellent question. You know, the, the foundations of my religious beliefs that speak to me about the way I behave now and conduct myself, they should be the same wherever I am. But I think there is a good possibility that I may perhaps conduct myself either intellectually or otherwise, maybe in a different way if I was in a less open, less democratic nation. Uh, if I... If I, for example, if I was in a, uh, you know, autocratic or a, a society or a society where freedom of speech is not allowed or, or is curtailed, then I might not be able to express the ideas and the thoughts uh, about certain interpretations of Islam that I would do in Australia. So mm-hmm. no doubt. Uh, so no doubt we are the product of our society. No doubt that the foundational tenets and teachings of Islam shape who I am, but also I, I have been molded, if you like, in a way to, to interpret my understanding of Islam in ways that are consistent with the context in which, in which I live in. And case in point, I, I teach a class for young, young students aged 10 to 15, a module called Islam Culture and Identity, in fact. Mm. And I try to when I ask them how they identify themselves, they always deny the Australianness, and they're born here. And when we, you know, if, uh, we dig deeper, we find that they're only focusing on the negative about Australia. And so I try to help them say, well, look at the concept of justice, for example. Yes, Australia is not perfect, but you can find more justice in Australia than than all, if not most, mainstream Muslim societies. 
You know, we have the institutions, the infrastructures, the ability to fight for what is for your rights in Australia, regardless of the outcome. And so I believe in that. I, if I was growing up in some other Muslim-majority nation, I may not believe in that. So yes, these are definitely... Thank you. We like to have a game called net positive, net negative. And all you have to do is say net positive, net negative, and very briefly give one or two reasons why. And I know this is instinctive, but uh, are, you, are you both up for it? Sure. Okay. Um, Robin, I'll start with you. Capitalism, net positive or net negative? <sighs> net positive, but only just. And why? Very quickly. Only because of really the, the democratic systems that are often going along with it. But in fact, cat- capitalism itself Okay, good Actually, start. net negative. Net, neg- <laughs> net negative. Okay. Muhammad, godless do-gooders. Godless do-gooders. Net positive or net negative? Uh, neutral. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not the rules of the game. That's, that's not, not the rules okay. of the principle of charity. All game. right. Well, net positive. Net positive. Okay, Why? Because they do good, good, they do good. I mean, that's that's the ultimate purpose of faith, and that is to do good. As far as their faith, that is between them and God. Okay, Robin, atheism. Uh, net positive to the extent that it it forces us to raise questions about our own commitments and to more deeply think about why we maintain them. Okay, good stuff, Mohammed, Charles Darwin. Net negative. Why? Uh, because uh, he stipulated a particular theory that fundamentally goes against what I believe and may have also uh, uh, caused a, a, a serious conse- number of consequences that led to secularism uh, and so forth, uh, which I feel have been very harmful to human beings, and society at large. Okay, thank you. Robin, I'm going to put you on the spot. Cardinal Pell. Well, that really is putting me on the spot. <laughs> You're from the Catholic University. You can answer anything. Yeah, I'm from the Catholic <laughs> University. Uh, I would say negative to the extent that um, there has been a lot of um, a lot of pressure to go in particular directions in the church, and a lot and a lot of work, I think, behind the scenes to kind of press that that direction. And uh, and I feel that wasn't right. Okay, Mohammed, cancel culture, but with the comment that it doesn't forgive. Oh, net negative, definitely. Why? We can't cancel people. Uh, I think. Uh, uh, People have the right to express their views. We can disagree with those views, but we should do so with decorum and politeness and etiquette. Uh, but to completely cancel people uh, is to deny who they are. Uh, Robin, lastly, bikinis on Bondi Beach. They don't suit me. <laughs> okay, we'll take that. I want to keep going and... Um, thank you, both of you, for participating in the net positive, net negative game. I want to go to 
a little bit going back to Emil's comments around free will, but uh, some of the philosophy. Um, there was a book by Rabbi Kushner on why bad things happen to good people. Uh, he, he was a rabbi who lost his son, I think. I can't remember. His son may have been uh, a teenager. And Robin, why, why do bad things happen to good people? A friend of mine was dying with of cancer a few years ago and she struggled a lot with why does it have to happen to me? And in the end, she came around to saying, well, why not me? We don't believe in a God, well, I don't believe in a God who is listening to some people when they pray for people with cancer and not other people. Essentially, I believe God acts in the world through people and through the love of people. And the world, there's natural disasters and there is evil and and all of those things happen. And I don't think God causes them, but I think they just are and they are part of what we have to deal with. Mamet, I'm going to come back to you on that question as well. Roman, I'm going to give you another difficult question. And that is, if, if we did a sort of trade-off thought experiment for you, and I said to you, you had to choose one. You have to give up on all scientific findings, as in we know science, peer review articles, some of the medical science, uh, or give up on the Bible. Which, which, oh, which one do you choose? That's, a, that's an invidious choice. It's actually not a choice. What would you do? Uh, I would say we've put two, two things that don't live within the same thought world together. Mm. And and you can't choose one or the other. I see. You can't you you can't resolve that contradiction. Well, I don't see it as a contradiction. That's you just the see thing. them completely separate, so they're not a contradiction. Well, I think they're asking different questions in different ways. Okay. So you know we shouldn't say, well, the Bible gives us all the science we need because it doesn't. That's not what mm. it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, a, a sign a scientistic view of the world isn't helpful either because science doesn't actually teach us about love. Mohammed, how about you? How, how would you manage that question? What's your, what's your response to that question? You, you have a choice. Give up on science or give up on the Quran? I won't give up on either. They complement each other. S- similar answer. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's always, it, was, it was always understood in the Islamic tradition that revelation alone is not sufficient and intellect alone is not sufficient. Science allows us to arrive at certain conclusions uh, uh, intellectually, uh, which, as, as Robin said, you know, it may not answer the questions that the Quran answers. So they both go hand in hand and complement one another. Mm-hmm. And, and coming back to my initial question, one of the first questions to, Ro- to Robin about why do bad things happen to good people, what's, what's the Islamic answer? Well, there is no one single answer because we don't know ultimately why bad things may happen to, to good people, but it could be for various reasons. Generally speaking, the Quran says uh, is, is that uh, whatever happens is because what your ha- what your hands have what what you have done what you have what your hands brought forward. Uh, mischief and corruption has become widespread on, on on earth and sea because of what you have done. That's one. But we can't individually say that you, because of what you have done, this bad has come to you. But we say generally speaking. But also sometimes bad things happen to good people to elevate their status in the eyes of God because mm-hmm. he knows they can't they can forbear it. But also sometimes bad things have to happen to good people so that 
they could be a wider lesson for other people. So recently, a friend of mine, his son died because of a rare genetic disease. He invested so much to try to solve, to, to, to cure him. His son died. And it's only after he died, they found that the cure. And it was a simple cure, but we didn't have the technology to, to cure it then. Mm. But now many other children will be saved because of that test that this person went through. We always attempt in our show, uh, we have a focus on trying to find the truth. Mohammed, for you, what are the two biggest misconceptions you believe people have of Islam? That it's a faith that advocates terrorism and violence. That's number one. And uh, that it's a faith that, uh, that uh, oppresses women. Number two, these are the two most frequently questions, frequent questions that I often ask. Mm-hmm. Robin, how about you? Two big misconceptions around Catholicism. I'd say probably the one that um, it's all about laws and, you know, being obedient instead of um, actually being about accepting the grace of God and experiencing that love. That would be my first one. And and I guess the second one would be that it is um, anti a whole lot of, uh, minorities. In fact, you know, there are some people within the tradition that that might have reasons to um, not go along with particular views, but I would say most of the people that I meet want to be open to people who are different from themselves. That's, that's, that's very interesting. I mean, I, you know, it's, it, it's, I'll probably end off on this note, but I'd love to get both of your responses. Uh, about two months ago, I went to an interfaith meeting and what struck me there, I suppose, the DNA of that meeting was commonality. There, there was just, that, that was the purpose of that meeting, that interfaith meeting. And yet, when I hear sometimes religious people speak, and I wanted to check on this, I, I often hear a sense of trying to focus on difference. And, and I'd love to hear, as a concluding comment, maybe from both of you, do you think that's true? And what are each of you doing if you, if, if you oppose that? What are you doing to reduce that difference? I think that often when we do interreligious dialogue, we feel that we're trying to come to a position of commonality of, you know, what's similar about the religious traditions and so therefore how we can um, understand one another better. But I actually feel it's also important to focus on the differences. Mm. Today I have felt, in a sense, closer to Muhammad because of his way of living his religious tradition for the sake of it, you know, than for either of you or for for a lot of other people. Mm. You know, I feel there's an inherent kind of connection there. I wouldn't be respectful of Muhammad if I said, so really Islam is just the same as Christianity, it's just got a different name. Mm. There are differences that we must respect and if, if we don't recognise those differences, we do a great disservice to one another. Hmm. Very interesting answer. I'd love to carry on, but we, we shouldn't time. Mohammed, how about you? Yeah, not so dissimilar to what Robin said. I believe there is, of course, there are many commonalities, and I have often advocated the idea of interconnectedness or between uh, civilizations or civilizations, and, and that includes religions, of course, uh, uh, we have uh, we we cannot do without the other absolutely, 
commonalities are a uh, something that we should focus on especially in a world that is that seems so divided and so pitched on a, a, di a dichotomy of the world of black and white right and wrong etc i think we have a moral ob ob obligation it's a moral imperative that we focus on the commonalities not to dilute the tradition but rather to bring people together uh, in a time where we need to bring people together uh, but as robin said that does not mean we make a mixed salad out of all religions mm. and dilute the essential tenets of each religion we must recognize the differences and do so politely and do so with decorum and be mature enough to discuss differences yet not focus on those only but also speak of commonalities that's where we can bring our common humanity together to help one another you know i have to say i am feeling uh, in a similar way robin uh, as you said you were feeling to muhammad a, a, a greater closeness i'm feeling very close to both of you i uh, in one sense you probably are better ambassadors to the principle of charity than than emil and i are um, we should be getting you to host the show but just thank you so much for um, my senses of what you're doing in the world and your ability to have this dialogue with us. I know some of those questions were tricky for you. Uh, thank you for having the spirit to to go along with them. And Emil, from you, any any comments or any views? It was just a, a, a sort of rare privilege to be able to get into some of these questions, which have long been on my mind, but I've never known who to ask them to. You know, I learned an enormous amount. So I really appreciate um, both of your time. And I'm sure our audience is going to love it because for people who are not within a particular religion, we often just hear about other religions through the most fundamentalist examples, through the politics, through the news and actions, but we don't actually get to appreciate the beliefs from the inside. So um, I hope you guys enjoyed thank it. Thank you to both of you. It was a great opportunity. And thanks, especially, Mohammed. I really enjoyed hearing from you. Thank you all. Likewise, Robin, I, I enjoyed hearing from you. Thank you all for hosting us. Thank you. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love you to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really goes a long way to helping others discover our conversations. You can also find Principle of Charity on social media, where we hope you'll join the discussion. See you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.